Stand Up For The Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up For The Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Good morning, friends in Christ. Thank you so much, first of all, for being part of the remnant of truth proclaimers and defenders and for sharing our podcast. It's, it's just been an unbelievable year with all the uh, censorship on big tech and um, with, with the success of the podcast because of you. That's the only reason. Well, God, of course, God's doing it, but he's using you. So thank you for your prayers uh, there's constant warfare when you do a ministry like ours, so thank you. Um, we can't wait to get to Jim Simpson. He's back with us today talking about his new book. We talked about last last time he was on, we're going to do part two of this interview, Who Was Karl Marx? The Men, the Motives, and the Menace Behind Today's Rampaging American Left. So today we're going to talk a little bit more about that, the history of America and leftist groups and the havoc they are wreaking across the country, but also some good news, and it's going to be a lot of work, friends, but there is a comprehensive plan to save America that he writes about in the book. So I want to introduce to you uh, James. He's been on with us before, an investigative journalist, businessman, former economist, and budget examiner for the White House Office of Management and Budget. And since 1995, he's written for various periodicals and uh, known for his expose on the Cloward Piven strategy of manufactured crisis. We will link to that because if you're a newer listener to the podcast and you don't know what that is and what that who Cloward and Piven were, you've got to look into a little bit of this history and understand that. Or please listen to part one of our interview with James a few months ago. Karl Marx, Communism and the Radical American Left. We will link to that in the podcast notes today at StandUpForTheTruth.com. But James Simpson, welcome back to the podcast, brother. David, great to be with you. Thanks for having me. It's, hey, it's great to have you again, and uh, I just love what I was reading last night. There's so much that uh, we, we could share, but our time is limited. But I do want to mention, yes. I did mention last time, a couple of reviews from the book. You've got a great one from uh, Wayne Allen Root uh, talking about the toxic yep impact now being played out across America due to Karl Marx and his followers. Also, I love Alan West. Uh, he said yep. he said constitutional conservatives can't fight an ideological war without knowing the author of the ideology they confront. And that's yep. huge. Plus, Trevor Loudon, who we've had on uh, many times on the podcast. We love him. And uh, yep. he said, this is the best book I have read on revolution and counter-revolution in recent memory. Simpson lays out in simple but dramatic terms the history of communism from Marx to the present and then tells us how to combat it. And James, in the second half of the podcast today, I'd like to focus more on that, your comprehensive plan to save America. It is amazing, it is extensive, and you can read it and be overwhelmed because there is a lot of work. But why don't you share with us a little bit of the reason why it's going to take a lot of work because we've just been asleep for so many years and we let it get to this point in our country. Yeah, well, you know, uh, it, it, that that strategy, or actually uh, numerous strategies, have been at play for a hundred years, and you know, it's like everything else. If I'm sitting here and I, I notice it, I say, well, what can I do about it? Oh, nothing. Uh, or maybe, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll vote for the right guy or I'll try to vote for the right guy. But, but, you know, we feel as individuals powerless to stop these things. And most of us don't even notice what's going on. Mm -hmm. You know, I was raised at a time when public school was pretty good. <laughs> and I got a pretty good education through it. And I didn't have any kind of indoctrination, really. There were people, they talked about history. And then we read history books. Mm, imagine and, that. And, uh, you know, and we learned English. Uh, you know, we didn't learn new words. Uh, we learned uh, proper, correct English. 
you know, and we learned math. We didn't find out that math was racist until just this year. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so so these things, you know, uh, you you just presume that that kind of thing is continuing. Mm -hmm. And, of course, if you haven't been paying attention or it's not your business to pay attention, Mm -hmm. you know, you've got too many other things to do. You're raising kids, you're working a job, you're doing this, that, and the other thing. You know, there's even a word for it in economics. They call it rational ignorance. Mm. You know, if 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 we don't have time or we don't feel we have the power to do anything, we would rather not know what the problems are. Mm. We would rather remain willfully blind because to open our eyes uh, means that we're actually probably going to have to get up and do something. Mm. And that doesn't usually motivate a lot of us unless and until it gets to the point where it literally threatens our own personal lives, our careers, our family, or whatever. And the trouble is, well, I guess it's a trouble, a blessing, and a curse at the same time. We are now at that point mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, where we, our very lives are livelihoods, our way of life is directly threatened by these monsters. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we're waking up. And the good thing is that we still live in a uh, moderately free country, <laughs> although they're doing their best to uh, get rid of whatever vestiges remain. Mm-hmm. Uh but we still have latitude for action. And that's the one thing about the American people that terrifies the left. And that is that we are very innovative and we're very determined. And when we see that something needs to be fixed, we fix it. Mm-hmm. And we don't wait for the politicians. We do it. We do it ourselves, and, that, and that's what it's going to take this time. I mean, of course, we need to have people in positions of power to pass laws and to execute the laws and to do the things that need to be done to correct the situation we're in. But to a large extent, it's up to us. It's up to us to put those people in power. It's up to mm, us to yes. stand up to the bullies and the Nazis and the fascists and mm-hmm. the... Uh, the the communists real well they're all communists they they act like fascists but and there's a distinction without a difference anyway but uh yeah it, we 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 pull rabbits out of the hat historically we have done so many many times <laughs> and it scares the heck out of the left and it's actually why right now they've pulled out all the stops and gone totally nuts trying to uh, destroy the last vestiges of what remains of a free America. Yes. And in the process, they've overplayed their hand, so they're between a rock and a hard place. They're panicking because they see us reacting, but at the same time, they know that this may be their only chance, so they're really pushing, and they double down as usual. Mm-hmm. In your book, you say, and I've heard this, I've, a lot of our guests have said this, a lot of people who are mm. paying attention to what's going on and are, are educated and have done the research and are informed, they are suggesting, as you have, that the left has overplayed its hand, its motives, yep. behavior, intentions. They're, they're open about it. They're not even trying to hide it anymore. Right. That, that's kind right. of a new place that we're at in America, aren't we? Yeah, it is. And, and you know, it's uh, it's troubling because... On the one hand, it, it it exposes them for exactly who and what they are mm-hmm. uh, for the wide world to see. But by the same token, if they are that willing to be so blatant, uh, what what card are they holding that we don't see that makes them feel confident that that they can be that blatant? That's interesting that you put it that way. I just uh, tend to think that they are. Some of them are deceivers. Others are deceived. You know, there are minions 
Um, mm-hmm. But I think some are agenda driven. They then they don't care. They just know they have power. They have all the major institutions in America, yeah. and they yeah. think this is their time. That's what I believe. Yeah, I mean, we're, we'll talk in a little bit about the World Economic Forum and how uh, the Whatever. Great Reset yeah. and globalism comes into all this, into sure. what we're seeing in America. Sure. America seems to be the prize, and it has been for many decades, mm-hmm. hasn't it, James? Oh yeah, no, we are the. The prize, or as Lenin said, the main enemy. Mm. Yep. So, I want you to clarify something for our newer listeners, and we're we've uh, I don't know what's going on. I think Mary, maybe there is an awakening. It, it kind of gives me hope to hear from more people, newer people from different parts of the country that are tuning in and going, we can't get this information in most places, obviously not the media, but uh, le- right. defining the left, you put the left in my book also, I put the, the word the left in the uh, subtitle. And um, some people say, well, well, wait a minute, I thought they were, quote, progressive. They've even <laughs> they've even redefined that word, haven't they? So you say yeah. you say Democrats seem to be getting further and further detached from reality. So describe what the American left is. Well, the American left really is the international communist movement at its heart. Mm -hmm. I mean, it is inspired by, and in many cases guided by, uh, communist China, uh, Russia, which remains firmly in the communist camp, despite the so-called and alleged fall of the Soviet Union. Um, but most people don't understand that communism is not really an ideology. People think of communism as this, as this sort of uh, economic theory based on Marxism, uh, based on Marx economic theories. And Marx economic theories were ridiculous. They were a joke. Uh, it, it, it left it, of course, to the intellectual class to turn it into something uh, other than the joke that it is. And of course, they always do that because they love a challenge, turning you know trying to nail a a, a square peg into a round hole. They think because they're so smart they can do the impossible, but um, it's not an ideology. Communism is not an ideology. It is a collection of strategies for very unscrupulous and very ambitious and greedy people to seize power and the wealth that goes with it. And so that's what we've got. I call them entrepreneurial parasites. <laughs> these are people, and this from Marx forward, all of these people uh, have these characteristics. Marx was a greedy, selfish slob. Uh, Mao was a greedy, selfish, parasitic slob. He never bathed. He never brushed his teeth. His doctor said he had green slime growing on his teeth. And despite the public perception, what he spent most of his time doing was betting young women. And when he got a venereal disease over it, the doctor said, aren't you worried about transmitting that to all these young women? And he said, well, it's not bothering me, so if it's not bothering me, what do you care? This this is the kind of person's people th- th- they are. They are utterly greedy and selfish. And in fact, I quote, uh, let me see if I can find it. I quote um, Mao here. I actually added this to the latest version of my book because it's such an incredible indictment of all communists. You know, the, the, the college kids in my age, from my time forward, they were all enamored of Mao. A lot of them had Mao posters in their bedrooms. This is what Mao said, you know, a man responsible for almost 80 million deaths in Chinese says, I do not agree with the view that to be moral the motive of one's action has to be benefiting others. Mm. Morality does not have to be defined in relation to others. People like me want to satisfy our hearts to the full, and in so doing, we automatically have the most valuable moral codes. Of course, there are people and objects in the world, but they are there only for me. People like me have a duty to ourselves. We have no duty to other people. Mm. Is that a, not a powerful... Uh, statement. Yes, 
And there's so many of these when you talk about the, these world leaders and these Marxists, yeah. these communists, yeah. and it's available out there. But as you alluded to earlier in the podcast, uh, American history has been rewritten. It's been edited. And I didn't think yeah. you, were, you were that old, James. You said uh, you went to a, a school at a time when they taught true history and you actually learned. <laughs> <laughs> but that was like the 50s, 60s, the 70s. Yeah. We started th- yeah. Things started changing after they removed God. You know, the, the Bible, yep. Ten Commandments, and prayer yep. from government-run yep. schools. And um, yep. and now we're talking about cultural Marxism, which I want to remind people, if you missed our first interview with James Simpson, please go to the post today, standupforthetruth.com, and, and check it out. There's so much information before we got to this point. We're going to talk about a lot of other things today, but we talked about Frederick, Frederick Engels. We talked about Engels. the most important radical no one's ever heard of. We talked about Lenin and the strategy of hate. We talked about Antonio Gramsci and his prison notebooks. We talked about the Frankfurt School, Herbert Marcuse, and also a little bit about Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Well, James, that brings us up to today. Something you shared in an email to me I want to talk about, and that is the role of the United Nations. They've, it seems like they've been anti-Israel, anti-American for since maybe their inception, but, uh, and yeah. the World Economic Forum. You pulled something off of its website that I would love for you to walk us through, if you would, please. Yeah. No. Um, <clears throat> the, uh, the, the all of it, and 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 this is the thing that nobody really gets, or very few people see the um, the thread. Mm. Uh, globalism is communism, and I would venture to say that many globalists don't even really know that um <laughs> un the un is when you think of a globalist organization you automatically think of the un right mm-hmm. one world government global government well the un was the brainchild of Alger Hiss. And for those people who don't know, I was I was at an event last uh, last week uh, in Michigan, and I asked people for hands on who had heard of Alger Hiss, and I was surprised that there were only about five people that raised their hands out of a large, pretty large crowd. Wow. He was one of the most important. Soviet agents in the Franklin Delano Roosevelt administration during World War II. He was in the State Department, and he ran a communist cell. And Whitaker Chambers, who was one of his subordinates, uh, had an epiphany. He became a Christian, and he turned state's evidence against Alger Hiss. And the pushback, I mean, you know, we think of cancel culture only existing in the last few years. Yeah. This was in the 40s. Mm-hmm. Uh, Whitaker Chambers was canceled by, you know, practically everybody. They, they, all of the major newspapers attacked him. They all dug up, uh, you know, inconsistencies in his story and his past. Of course, it's the same game plan they do all the time to discredit people. So ultimately... Alger Hiss uh, only was convicted of perjury, Hmm. but he was a major, major traitor. He convinced FDR at the Yalta conference at the end of World War II, he convinced FDR to give Eastern Europe to Stalin. Wow. You know, which consigned all of the Eastern European countries to communism, mass murder, Hmm. and endless misery. Uh, he wrote the UN Charter. He wrote it with 16 other uh, communists and Council of Foreign Relations intellectuals, all communists, probably. But he was the, at the head of it. And I mean, for example, he gave the Soviet Union three votes to the United States won. How did he do that? By <laughs> claiming 
Ukraine and Belarus were separate countries, even though they were all part of the USSR, be like calling Texas and California different countries. So they got three votes to our one right from the beginning. Wow. And and the Soviets always considered uh, the United Nations just a, a, a an arm of their foreign policy. And it, it it helps explain why, you know, practically everything coming out of the UN is anti American, anti Israel, anti Western, and most of the countries involved go along with it because not because they necessarily uh, want to be communist, but they see <clears throat> where the where the where the balance of power rests, mm. and so they don't want to be you know on the wrong side of history. So they all go along with it. The non-aligned, so-called non-aligned countries, uh, India, you know, uh, Korea, various different ones, they all always line up against us in the UN, yes. in the decision-making in the UN. And and every single secretary general of the UN has been either a communist or a socialist. There's never been one that was not. Uh, the current uh, uh, Secretary General Antonio Guterres was a socialist member of the Socialist International. He was a socialist uh, Prime Minister of Portugal. Uh, he was the former UN High Commissioner for Refugees. You know, he pulled the plug on uh, migration. Um, you know, these are all open borders people. Uh, they're they're communists yes. and they are all against the West. Now the World Economic Forum. Wait, James, right? Uh, let's 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 pause right there. We need to take a break real quick, but we're going to come back yeah. and we're going to get into that and talk about global governance. What the heck does that mean? Plus, what you shared last time about Karl Marx not being an atheist—that might surprise some people. We're with James Simpson, investigative journalist, and you can get more information at Crisis Now. .net or his book, Who Was Karl Marx? Available on Amazon. More on Standard for the Truth in just a minute. Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Author James Simpson is with us today. Who was Karl Marx? We're talking about the men, motives, and the menace behind today's rampaging American left. We are going to get to an, a phenomenal section of his book called Back from the Brink, A Comprehensive Plan to Save America. So many bullet points we're going to share from that in just a little bit. And next, we'll talk about the World Economic Forum as we started to before we took a break and global governance. But uh, last time you were on with us, you said Marx, Karl Marx, uh, revealed that he was not really an atheist. He actually did believe in God. That confuses a lot of people. James, would you please clarify? Yeah. Well, you know, Marx um, was raised as a Christian because his father, he had Jewish heritage, but his father uh, couldn't practice law as a Jew in Lutheran Germany. It was against the law. So he converted as a practical measure right around the time Marx was born and Marx was raised as a Christian, and actually in high school he wrote beautiful Christian poetry. I, I have an example of it in the book. Um, but, of course, when he went off to college, he, like so many others, <laughs> fell in with a bad crowd. I mean, even it was happening back then, right? <laughs> and um, a crowd of leftists and a person, I, uh, and some, some individuals who may have even been Satanists, but uh, the long and short of it was he utterly rejected God. He rejected, uh, you know, the principles of his upbringing, and, but he, he, ne he never denied God existed. Mm. He wanted to be God's equal. Yes. He wanted to defy he wanted to overthrow God, and, you know, I, I put uh, one of his most noteworthy poems right at the beginning of the chapter on Marx, and he said, um, 
with disdain, I'll throw my gauntlet full in the face of the world and see the collapse of this pygmy giant whose fall will not startle my ardor. Then I will wander, godlike and victorious, through the ruins of the world, and giving my words an active force, I will feel equal to the Creator. Hmm. Wow. Now, that's not somebody who, who doesn't believe the Creator exists. Right, right. That's somebody who is blazingly defiant of the Creator. And in fact, I uh, uh, put in, a, you know, a passage from Isaiah 14 when I when God describes Satan, and it sounds exactly it sounds like a paraphrase of Marx's, uh, <clears throat> you know, Marx's poem. It says, "I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds." I will be like the Most High. Wow. God describing what Satan thought of himself. Yeah. Well, Marx, as you say in the book, Marx was preaching Satanism, uh, you know, whether he knew it or not. Um, And it's interesting, I think, of the—and I don't want to get into this whole thing now with you, but the the, the, uh, gender— um, confusion, the gender ideology, the the, the yep. communist vision is is man's displacing God as creator. And yep. in other words, God did not possibly make us male and female so we can reassign or redesign or we can right. de- be whatever we want. We can be like God. Um, but let's get now back to the World Economic Forum, James, and uh, sure. something you wrote on global governance. To them, to those who are um, into this planet and, and enforcing this and wanting to implement more of this takeover. Uh, tell us about their their global governance model. Well, their global governance model, I mean, if you go to the World Economic Forum website, uh, you know, they're very straightforward mm-hmm. about the fact that we need to uh, move from what they call, what we call shareholder capitalism to what they call stakeholder capitalism. And, of course, their argument is that we're all stakeholders, you know, in the type of uh, economic system we have. So, essentially, uh, you know, if you're a shareholder of a, of a company, you're, you're a property owner, right? But uh, if you're a stakeholder, uh what that company does or doesn't do may affect you, whether you're a shareholder or not. So you have just as much right to uh, have a say in what that company does as a shareholder, which is an, just another way of saying the property, private property should not exist. It should all be public. And, of course, that is what the United Nations hmm. has been arguing hmm. for decades. And, in fact... You know, the, the term that we hear all the time now when they talk about electric cars and they talk about wind and solar power and they talk about all of these things needed to combat, you know, climate change, <laughs> uh, they talk about sustainability. That's right. And what is sustainability? It's sustainable development. And that was uh, that concept was created in 1987 uh, through the United Nations Brundtland Commission, which was run by Gro Harlan Brundtland, who was the former Norwegian prime minister and uh, socialist prime minister, head of the Socialist International. And uh, she came up with the concept of sustainable development which talks about um, uh, preserving resources uh, that will meet the needs of the current and future generations. Hmm. And, of course, what does that statement itself imply? It implies centralized control over resources, because if they're going to dictate and direct, you know, how our resources are used in the present to preserve those resources for the future, 
that automatically implies control. Mm-hmm. And when you read into it, it it's all just simply socialism. Yeah. Uh, socialism by another name. And in 1992, that became part of Agenda 21, yes. uh, which the United States signed on to, stupidly. And then Agenda 21 wasn't good enough, so they came up with Agenda 2030. <laughs> and if you read through Agenda 2030, all of their points are require centralized control. Mm-hmm. And so the World Economic Forum uh, <clears throat> is just another angle on globalism. Instead of uh, talking about the United Nations, it tries to put many, many, uh, it tries to put all corporations under the umbrella of government control. And the World Economic Forum members, let me just find this because this is pretty uh, scary, really. Uh, here they are. Let's see. I have a list here. It's a partial list, about 50, <laughs> and it's about maybe one-tenth of the World Economic Forum partners. Wow. Uh, Amazon, BlackRock, which is the largest investment company, Bank of America, Citibank, Dell, uh, Facebook, GE, Goldman Sachs, Microsoft, Merck, Mayo Clinic, IBM, Intel, Johnson & Johnson, um, Google, Gates Foundation, of course, Open Society, that's George Soros, yes. Pepsi, Pfizer, Qualcomm, uh, Russian Investments, Shell, Uber, UPS, Verizon, Walmart. This is one-tenth or maybe even less of the total. I, I, I was making a PowerPoint and I put them all on one page. Uh, there's not enough room, you know, to, to put them all. But the point is, the idea was to bring all of these, the leaders of all of these companies under one roof so that they could all uh, become party to this new idea of stakeholder capitalism. And the reason... Many of them, well, there's two reasons many of them don't mind. One is that they see the writing on the wall and they don't want to uh, lose out, huh. right? And, and, that, and then the other one is that Obama was very big on what he called public-private partnerships. And, you know, that took the place of private free enterprise uh, capitalism, Hmm. Private free enterprise capitalism has delivered untold, unprecedented wealth to more people than any other economic system that ever existed. And it also has made us the freest, most open, and most accommodating society in history. Mm -hmm. You know, the, the left calls us all a bunch of racists and bigots. Well, there's people that speak... 400 languages today in the United States. And that's all part of the leftist agenda Mm -hmm. to, uh, you know, uh, just swamp our nation with different cultures so that the culture that gave us this free market, capitalist, open, uh, Christian-based nation just drown in the replacements. Mm and uh, become irrelevant. But capitalism, free market capitalism, has assimilated all those people despite the left's best efforts because capitalism is a system of voluntary exchange for mutual benefit. It works. You know, I don't, yeah, I don't, I don't order you to work for me. You choose voluntarily to work for me at whatever uh, wage we agree on. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no such thing as oppression. You can't be oppressed by a choice. That's right. You know, I, I hate that whole idea of oppression. Oh, uh, boy, I know. L- LGBTQ people uh, are, are oppressed. How can you be oppressed by a lifestyle choice? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's all such a joke. It's great marketing. 
<laughs> yeah, well, it is. Of course, it is. That's but the they are very good marketers. Yes, uh, entrepreneurial parasites. Yeah. they are very good at marketing yes. themselves. Hey, hey, James, but, real quick, we only have yeah. tr- uh, three minutes left in this segment. I want to go back to something so, you read. Rattle off that list, a partial list of corporations in America that are yeah. prospering now. And if if yeah. the UN and the the World Economic Forum and the globalists goal is centralized control, that would mean that necessarily you would have to dismantle or uh, weaken or destroy America and our system here. Wouldn't those American corporations suffer economically? Yeah, and and the thing is, you know, the trouble is that they're short-sighted and they're ignorant. <laughs> uh, you know, they believe. Well, what they're what they are uh, benefiting from at present is, you know, this public-private partnership idea. And I started to say that, you know, it used to be uh, free market competition, which is the best way, uh, the best economic system there is. But companies don't like that. They like monopoly because it makes life easy for them. Uh, they can charge more than they could in a free market competitive society. And ha- what's the best way to to get be guaranteed a monopoly? Well, you partner with the government, and the government gives you an exclusive cutout, and that's wow. what happens. And the only the only downside is that you make the government the senior partner, and they all seem to think. That, oh, well, we'll just sort of go along this way and nobody's really going to, you know, uh, nationalize anything, you know, because this is also uh, beneficial for everybody at the top. We all make billions of dollars. We all, you know, get everything we want and the heck with everybody else. And they think that communist China and Russia and all these other partners are going to be okay because they're all getting such huge amounts of money. Well, I'll tell you that none of those 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 people who lead the international communist movement uh, see this as a way to facilitate their power and control. And when they take over, they take everything, hmm. everything. And so all of these companies will cease to exist. And the, the communists, for some reason, either don't know or don't care that it will usher in a worldwide economic collapse that will make the uh, Great Depression of the 1930s look like a walk in the park by comparison. Wow, that's quite frightening. But uh, don't, uh, you know, hold that dial, friends. Stay on with us because we're going to talk about plans. There are solutions and there is a plan to save this nation. And as James writes, come back from the brink. One of those things is setting up a parallel society. What does that mean and how do we do it? Plus, we'll talk about elections, education, and more with James Simpson on Stand Up For The Truth in just a minute. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. The book is called Who Was Karl Marx? The website, CrisisNow.net. We are with investigative journalist James Simpson, who I first heard about, I don't know how many years now, in Curtis Bauer's Agenda documentary. And uh, James, I'll never forget, I'm paraphrasing something you said in that documentary, something about what they're trying to do is is detach America from any moral anchors or foundation. Did, was I close to that, what you shared? Yeah, no, absolutely. Yep, yep absolutely, that's right. They yep. want to detach us from any and all of our uh, cultural, moral, uh, constitutional foundations. So we're, we're just floundering around. And we don't know where to go. And mm-hmm. why is that? Because if you don't know who you are, where you are, where you need to go, you'll accept anybody who who uh, puts themselves up as a leader. Yeah. I think you just paraphrased a Ronald Reagan quote. If, if we don't uh, teach who we are, we will forget who we were or something like that. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. Uh, you, you yeah. say in this part of the book, Toward the Back, um, A Comprehensive Plan to Save America, you talk about the left overwhelmingly controls most important institutions of power. And then you a little bit further on, you said the COVID epidemic 
has also revealed how entrenched they are in the field of science, especially public health agencies like the CDC. It is truly disheartening, but we should not be demoralized or discouraged. We all got here by ignoring the problem for so long, so now we need to pay attention. James, you start off with saying we need to set up a parallel society. Can you give us a few ideas on what that would look like? Yeah, well, you know, the idea actually comes from Vaclav Havel, who said that in communist times, Czechoslovakians uh, established a parallel society because, of course, you know, while communism promises, uh, you know, equal distribution of resources, uh, it, it makes everybody equally destitute while all of the resources actually are redistributed to the top leadership mm-hmm. who live like kings, uh, live like decadent kings, and uh, kill people who uh, expose that. Um, but so he said, you know, because we had nothing, we had to create a parallel society. We had to create our own markets. You know, we had to create our own institutions Uh, And we had to do so quietly because, of course, um, you know, the communists don't like competition. Yeah. But the trouble is, you know, in in running a society where you have basically stolen and confiscated anything and everything that will allow people to survive, you have to do two things. You have to set up a secret police uh, network that is so extensive that nobody can make a move against you uh, because you become basically the enemy of the entire nation. And that's what all communist nations become. And then the other reason is you still need some of those people to do stuff, so they have to actually survive. Mm. So what happens in communist countries? You get a flourishing black market. Well, in communist countries... The KGB controls the black market, so they win either way. And since it's illegal, they can clamp down on you any time. But for the most part, they just let it operate because it's the only way for people to get the uh, goods and services they need to survive. Hmm. So in a, in a communist society, they created their own parallels that would help things uh, you know, get by, get, help people get by. But... In our society, we are still free. We are, can still elect good leaders. Our parallel society is simply a matter of creating attractive alternatives hmm. to the crap sandwich <laughs> the left is handing us yes. in every dimension. That's right. Uh, you know, instead of uh, <clears throat> having kids go to public school make school taxes portable, Hmm. and if people decide to homeschool their children, make those taxes refundable so that people aren't supporting the public school. Because, you know, all of this stuff, everywhere you go, anywhere you go, it's always follow the money. Yes. Because that's where you find out uh, all the action is. And you take money away from these people, and you'd be amazed how quickly they get back in line. Yeah, I think you yeah. heard a lot of amens coming through the radio and through the podcast yeah. when you just said uh, don't uh, homeschoolers shouldn't need shouldn't need to pay taxes for public schools if they're homeschooling. But yeah. one thing you said you started off right away by saying faced reality because millions of Americans are still in complete denial. But you were alluding That's to a minute ago the boycott boycott idea yeah. of supporting companies that share your values and who would support freedom in American uh, values in the Constitution, and, and and that's boycott, so support them while you boycott major corporations and those who know you know are against the Christian worldview and do not support uh, America as historically we have been supported. Is that correct? Yeah, no, that's absolutely correct. And see, the thing is, what I when I wrote this, what I wanted to do was create uh, a list of things that people can do that doesn't take them too far out of their zone of comfortability Mm. you know it's very easy to choose this product over that product or this store over that store so if you know what um, what companies are basically 
on our side, like, for example, My Pillow mm-hmm. and Goya Foods, you know, buy from them as opposed to uh, uh, the other alternatives. Yes. Um, and, you know, it, it takes a little bit of research to find out who, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. But there, there are uh, websites, actually, and I think, you know, devoted to that kind of thing. Yes. And, you know, you can – so if you do a little – take a little bit of effort you can you can uh, find the good alternatives to, to these bad companies and basically what we're trying to do is starve them on the vine mm-hmm. i mean that's what the left does to us all the time and they are you know totally unscrupulous about everything but especially there you know uh, they launch endless lawsuits not in the anticipation of winning anything, but because it forces uh, people that they've sued to squander millions of dollars defending themselves till they finally get a uh, decision in the court that supports them. I know. And we have to turn around and start uh, pointing the finger at the individuals that... that uh, launch these things and countersue yes. and countersue uh you know uh class action lawsuits there should be class action lawsuits for example against the Southern Poverty Law Center Amen. which has uh defamed uh thousands upon thousands of people mm-hmm. uh costing them livelihoods costing them income costing them jobs billions of dollars worth of losses based on fraudulent um, defamation. And they should be forced to uh, pay us back for that. Yeah, what astounds me, James, is the SPLC. They designate people as hate groups when they themselves are a hate group. But I just want to share some of the bullet points from that section. You talk extensively about some solutions on elections, and that could be a whole podcast in and of itself. You talk about education, free speech, foundations, immigration. And I want to stop right here on Judeo-Christian culture, which perks up the ears of most of our listeners. Defend, restore, and celebrate our unmatched religious heritage. And then you say discourage interfaith dialogue. Just share a little bit about those two points. Well, you know, for—and I've written about this, too, for (laughs) uh, over 100 years, the left has attempted— to dilute true Christianity mm-hmm. by bringing in ideas like syncretism and, you know, one-world religion and uh, uh, the social gospel. Mm-hmm. I mean, all these things are decades old. And the interfaith dialogue is something that actually, you know, began around the 1940s, not coincidentally, right about the time that the United Nations came into power. And the <laughs> U.N. has specifically supported interfaith dialogue of since course. the late 60s, yep. early 70s. And, and, and why is that? Because the idea is to arm-twist Christians into sitting down with especially uh, Muslims mm-hmm. and trying to find common ground uh, between these two mutually exclusive religions. And compromise. And the common ground is everywhere and always demands Christians, you know, sacrifice their values for the values of the other uh, religion, undermining Christianity. And what's the real goal? The real goal is to weaken Christianity, That's right. because all of these people, and this is this is a communist, despite the fact that they use Muslims, this, this is a communist strategy, because the communists recognized long, long ago that uh, religion is not, as Marx said, the opiate of the masses. Religion is the strength. Christian religion is our strength. Yes. And our power, it's where our, our, our morals are based. It's, it, our entire culture and society 
is based on Christianity and Christi- Christian morals and Christian ideas, Christian ideas, and uh, that has given us, as I've said before, uh, the most affluent and uh, open uh, society, you know, in history. Mm-hmm. And the, so they recognize that as the thing more than anything else that has to be destroyed. And of course, uh, the nuclear family uh, along with it. That's right. And what another point you say that's just very common sense and but we don't explore it. Christians and Jews are urged to accept Islam, but Islam is not urged to accept Christianity and Judaism. That's like, hmm, right. yeah, that's right. Why do we always have to compromise? I want to jump ahead, right. James. We've got three minutes yeah. left. Um, a section, know your enemy. And we've got to stop being naive and always giving people the benefit of the doubt and saying, oh, they have a good heart or that's a good person or they mean well. Uh, knowing your enemy. Well, we're talking about the Democratic Party platform, the National Democratic Party. How about the Democratic Socialists of America, the establishment GOP you have here, the swamp? Yep. Um, left-wing foundations, Obama Foundation, Organizing for Action, mass media. Uh, uh, just recently, you might be encouraged by this, James. I think it was last week. I don't remember what poll company. I think it was Rasmussen came out, and almost 60% of Americans now see the media as an enemy of the people. Not just that they're yeah. biased, but that they're an enemy yeah. of the people. Isn't that fascinating? Yeah. Probably a lot yeah. because of the health misinformation. Your quick thoughts on that. Yeah, well, you know, I wrote a thing called The Media Versus America back in, I think, 2014. <laughs> and Pat Cadell, a Democratic pollster, yep. who, you know, uh, veered right towards the end of his life and unfortunately died, um, you know, he, he called media the enemy of America. And that was all about uh, what they did during the uh, Benghazi attacks, just basically flat-out lying to yep. the public about what happened. That's right. And uh, but, but they've been doing this since the 50s and before. Yes. I mean, in the 30s, the New York Times committed treason by giving out uh, secrets of what the U.S. military was doing. And, I mean, this was against the Nazis, for crying out loud. Mm. Um, and, and so it's not anything new. And in fact, it's it's uh, it, it it reflects an organized and determined premeditated strategy by the Soviet Union to infiltrate our media because they recognize that if they can control our media, they control uh, the the narrative. That's right. And uh, for example, I talk about Edward R. Murrow, who was the CBS news anchor. Uh, he was the one who brought a bunch of communists to the United States to found the Frankfurt School at Columbia University and start teaching communism to American uh, universe, future university professors. James, uh, we've, we've got to wrap it up Soviet right there. Yeah. Uh, thank you so much. Your book is doing very well on Amazon. Congratulations. Who was thank Karl you. Marx? God bless you, James. To be continued, brother. Thank you. Tomorrow we have Pastor Randy White with us. He's got a new book out called Evangelical Garbage, How Evangelicalism is Confused, Manipulative, and Dangerous. And God bless you. Keep speaking the truth about things that matter.